When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily and a new week begins in the Premier League. A day later than usual, but we'll still be airing our gripes from the weekend's action as we have a little bit of a moan. Seven games took place across Friday, Saturday and Sunday and you can hear them reviewed on Sunday's episode of Football Social Daily with Fergal Brennan. But for now, we'll be looking ahead as the international break is upon us. Gareth Southgate has selected his latest three-line squad and a former England manager has had his say on their World Cup chances. More of that shortly and with their no Premier League football to take centre stage this week, the gossip columns have been bristling and there are stories involving Brendan Rodgers, Rafa Benitez and Harry Kane to get stuck into. Welcome to the podcast. My name's Niall and on their soapboxes today we've got Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Good morning boys. Good morning. Nice to be back. I'm sure everyone's missed me after a seven or eight day break. Some of it enforced, some of it totally uh, discretionary but yeah happy to be back <laughs> right in time for a boring bloody international break Christ <laughs> so much has gone on Barley you missed so much this weekend you've come back for the barrel scraping week of international duty which it always is but we know we're always there to grind the content out so appreciate you coming back Marley but maybe you should pick your holidays more wisely next time well I, I picked it perfectly because I had a week off and then uh, obviously with the Queen down we got an extra bank holiday so I got an extra day there so <laughs> didn't do too bad <laughs> unfortunately the international break has, has screwed me though because I woke up this morning like what the hell are we going to talk about today what's happened well that extra bank holiday has cost me about 75% of my vocal cords as you can probably hear so I'm still kind of struggling through but we'll get through today and we'll start by doing get in the sea which is something we normally do on a Monday Monday moan day but of course as Marley's already alluded to yesterday in the UK was a national holiday as the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II took place and she's been laid to rest so it's back to normal now from today and get in the sea is if you've not listened to the podcast before where we pick something that we didn't quite like from the weekend's Premier League action and we can have a little bit of a whinge about it so I hope you've come armed lads because if there's anything you like to get off your chest from the weekend's games now is your chance and I'll tell you what Marley seeing as you've been away last week we'll give you the honour of going first on your get in the sea today so what have you got for us? Uh, well I was I was struggling a bit with this uh, this week because there wasn't too much that stuck out and I didn't want to come on and, and berate um people people somehow seeing that the uh Newcastle decision at the weekend for, for the penalty was was not handball that people were saying about it clearly was. Um but I've I seen something on Twitter this morning that it it is a bit of an old man gripe to be honest. It's a bit of a Well you are of, an old man so that's true yeah <laughs> you ever seen that meme of uh of uh i think it's abe simpson and it's like it's a headline in the paper that says old man yells at crowd at cloud yeah yes it's I, I feel a bit like that but it popped up on my twitter this morning at i mean obviously i logged on and 
this I think this tweet was posted at like five past nine in the morning, a quarter past eight in the morning it was, mm. and it's from Everton, and it was just a scene from in the 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 dressing room after the game after West Ham um, became. Everton's first victims of the season so it's took them seven games to win a game and then I don't like this uh, This I don't want to become the celebration police because by all means celebrate a win <laughs> Christ, do it but I, the whole dancing thing really winds me up <laughs> the whole choreographed dancing of winning your first game in the Premier League having spent God knows how much on that squad um, gone through five managers in the past five years and you get your first win of the season and then you're, you're, you're dancing as if like you're, the, you're this unbeatable side. You, you've beat West Ham who are also in the relegation zone, you know what I mean? It's, it's I don't know, it just annoys me a little bit and I think after seven or eight days off when you wake up and that's the first thing you see on Twitter, if it was ever going to annoy me, it's going to annoy me at that point the most. Um, so I think it's Iwobi, Onana... I think Holgate's in it as well, messing around in a towel. It's it's all a bit weird, um, and it just it yeah it just gets on my nerves to be honest. <laughs> Marley hates dancing. That's his game. And that's it. Seat. I do hate dancing. I hate when footballers dance. It's bizarre. Marley, is that because you're stiff? I just don't get it. I just can't move, mate. Yeah, that's what it is. I just I've got no I've got no hips, man. That, no, that's really. it. To be fair, I see I see JJ Acocha do it, and no one does it like him. So you see. He's, See these stiff cardboard idiots doing it now, and it's like Christ, just wind it in. I was gonna say that, Marley, you'd fit in so well at the uh, the South African Bafana Bafana. I'd love I to hate see that. you in that row. Honest to God, <laughs> oh, you know when Shabalala banged that goal in in 2010, <laughs> oh, yeah. absolute banging goal, and then they all do that choreographed crap routine. It's like Jesus. Oh come God. on, don't be jealous. It's slightly different don't when be it's jealous of it. It's a little bit different when it's an African team in in an African country because I think Roger Miller started it back in the 80s, didn't he? When a little he bit that. different from the world stage isn't it <laughs> yeah but I mean Everton for beating West Ham 1-0 at home <laughs> it just just gets on my nerves a bit man yeah I mean you're still you know you're still a pretty you know your task for the rest of the season is still pretty big you haven't survived relegation you haven't really done anything yet but fair play to get in the first win but you know this this whole oh lads let's I, I just don't understand, I don't even understand like the mentality of it like I've never Ask my mates, do you want to do a dance after we've won a game? Like, how does that conversation come about? Like, it will be there to <laughs> Andre on Anna. Like, hey, look, do you want to do you fancy doing a dance for social media? It's like, what? I don't get it. I don't know. I don't like it, but Old Man Yells at Cloud <laughs> on Tuesday morning's podcast, so there you have it. You said you didn't want to be the celebration police, but I'm actually going to disagree with you. I haven't seen this tweet, by the way, so... Maybe it's a little bit premature for me to to make that uh, assumption, but people are finding things tough at the moment. So let them enjoy a little win. Let them have a little dance, as long as it doesn't become a regular what thing. What are they finding tough except playing football at Everton? Like the they're, then they're unaffected by the uh, that's the very true cost of living crisis because they're all on fifty grand a week. That's very true. You know, I just mean the fans in general, isn't it? It's like people that I saw this a few weeks ago with Arsenal fans who were getting a little bit over the top with their great start to the season. And Richard Keyes, we spoke about him on getting the seed, didn't we? A few weeks ago, he was kind of sticking the knife into the Arsenal fans for celebrating winning their first five or six games of the campaign. And I just don't understand that. I mean, let people enjoy their football team being successful. Like the fans is different, but yeah, I understand the players. <laughs> they they are severely unaffected by a cost of living crisis. I'd agree with that. Um, right, okay, let's move on. That's Marley's. He doesn't like the Everton uh, players dancing on social media. What about you, Joel? Is there anything that's got your back up this week? Oh, it's a bit more cheerful. Well, not cheerful, but a bit more less Marley Sunes esque. Um, <laughs> Mine was a clip that I saw just prior to the City versus Wolves game of the weekend. And it was when the teams were in the tunnel and Jose Saar, the Wolverhampton goalkeeper, got a little bit too friendly with Kevin De Bruyne. And I don't know, I, I, you couldn't read his lips, but I'm assuming it's based on the previous game that he faced him in where Kevin De Bruyne scored four goals past him. And he was almost like pumping up his ego before the game as if to say don't score that many on me this time I remember what you did to me last time and De Bruyne was a little bit you know self-deprecating a little bit flattered you could see he got a bit flustered when he came up to him and was just kind of laughing it off but I'm sorry when you're a keeper and you've conceded four goals to one player 
you, you can't be looking at him in the eyes before the game. You've got to just be like completely ice cold, cold turkey, and just don't give the player any more confidence that he needs because it'll probably turn into five the next game. And I just thought it was absolutely baffling because I also don't want to sound like a soon S, but when you used to see previous games, you know, with rivalries, I'm not saying Wolves and City's a rivalry, but previously, if that was a keeper, if that was two players who played against each other and he'd been absolutely flattened the game before, you don't start being all happy, clappy in the tunnel and basically giving the other player a little bit of confidence and you see it way too much these days I'm not a massive fan of it and even the difference with this is Jose Sarr is not a friend of Kevin De Bruyne as far as I know they're not the same nationality pretty different and I don't think they played together before so I think I feel like that was the only reason for it and uh, I just felt as though he just came across as a little bit small time when he did that and I just think nowadays especially in the tunnel that's the moment where you can kind of get one up mentally in terms of, I always remember when Roy Keane and Alex Ferguson used to say how you know the Invincibles look massive in the tunnel and that's a different kind of rivalry but it was almost like a one-up advantage straight away you don't see anyone you don't see like Pat Driviera giving Roy Keane a pat on the head saying oh that was a good game last game can you go easy on me you need to at least show a little bit of fight before a game so yeah I wasn't happy with seeing that and he ended up conceding to Haaland again not Kevin De Bruyne but he did two assists that game but I wasn't happy with it and it shouldn't be happening yeah I know what you mean and I thought about this when Chelsea played Tottenham a few weeks back and Harry Kane scored a last minute equaliser for Tottenham and Raheem Sterling I know they're mates because they play for England together but Raheem Sterling who you know has recently signed for Chelsea was kind of shaking Harry Kane's hand and patting him on the head and they're having a chat and a laugh in full view of the supporters in the middle of the pitch after the game. And I was thinking, just go down the tunnel, do that in the dressing room. You don't need to show the fans, you know, you don't need to do that, behave that way in front of the fans. And, you know, we're not stupid. We all know that they're mates and these players, they all get on better than they ever have. Football isn't as hostile, as ruthless as it used to be. You don't get those situations like Keane and Vieira in the tunnel and Gary Neville blanking people and stuff like that doesn't really happen anymore. So, you know, we're not stupid. We know that football's moved on with the times and it's a little bit friendlier than it used to be. But I think it is a little bit of a slap in the face um, to supporters when you see that, especially after a game, like you say, Joel, where someone's conceded four goals or someone's been a thorn in your side. You just, you're sick of the sight of them as a fan. You don't you don't want to see them. Get down the tunnel, get off. You know, that's the sort of thing that I would be saying if I was a fan. But, you know, I, I can understand that things have changed now. And, you know, to play devil's advocate if we take a, an element of cricket into this conversation where players sledge each other Joel so you know it's not always abusive you know sometimes the wicket keepers saying oh you know where did you get your bat from or what are you having for dinner tonight mate anything to distract a player um, I think cricket's a little bit different because you're always in the game aren't you it's it's reset new ball reset new delivery next delivery next delivery whereas football it's unlikely that Jose Sarr is going to be able to shout something that Kevin De Bruyne will hear from the other side of the pitch but is there not an element of that to it or is that clutching at straws in your opinion I just feel like cricketers get so bored mate that's all they've got to talk about (laughs) when you're six hours into a test and you sat there and you go crampy like what can I talk about ask the the batsman what car he drives yeah Niall don't start bringing cricket into this podcast my god we're going to lose (laughs) listeners (laughs) there's nothing wrong it's the greatest second best sport in the world behind football. Oh, bloody hell, I don't know about that. Um, I feel as though we need to be careful we're not taking out personality in football and keeping it you know, re- keeping it professional, but also allowing people to express themselves. Like, for example, the Jose Sarr one, that's a case of he, he needs to just be focused on the game and go straight out of the tunnel and prove himself. And then after the game, if he actually concedes zero to him, that's when you start, you know, doing all your lovey dovey whatever. But there's a case in Spain at the moment with Vinicius Junior, Junior for Real Madrid, where he's been getting a lot of racist abuse basically from Spanish media for basically dancing and expressing himself on the pitch and even doing skills on the pitch it's almost like it's uh, offensive and then we saw it recently with Richarlison you know when he's doing kick-ups um in the game I can't remember which game it was and you saw all these pundits saying how and Callum I think was it Callum Wilson as well he said on a podcast how if it was in front of me you know I would have taken him out I'm sorry but all of these players I bet all of their favorite plays when they were younger were Ronaldinho 
and they absolutely loved him purely because of his flair and the fact that he used to bring a bit of joy to football because the last thing I want to happen to football is it turns so robotic that players don't even attempt to do like a step over or something like that because it's deemed as unsportsmanlike. I feel like I grew up, I think my earliest memory of football is probably like 2004-ish and the players that I loved were the ones who actually showed some personality on the pitch with their, with their ball play. Um, I remember like Figo and Charisma when they used to do so much ridiculous technique and I was like, oh my God, I need to try and copy that. And then when you actually see now people, uh, players getting berated for it, showing their, you know, Brazilian flair that it's a thing. I think it's been a thing since, what, the 60s and 70s. I'd hate for that to start creeping out of their game just because the country that they're playing in find it disrespectful i think it's insane um so yeah i feel like they need to just keep showing the personality i think it adds so much to the game yeah i agree and i think that you know when you hear someone like jamie carragher saying that you know richardson should be booked for doing keepy uppies in a game i mean that's uh that's a ridiculous precedent to to set isn't it it's a joke players are unable to show their ability and their skill i mean it's frustrating but i think richardson got exactly what he deserved which was was it one of the Forest players came absolutely flying through him in, in 30 seconds later or something? Yeah, well, you know what, though? That's the reaction he wants because the team's going to get absolutely riled up. He's done it for his team. And at the end of the day, he got a nice little montage video out of it. So who's the real winner? <laughs> do you remember when people used to do the thing that Ronaldinho did in the Nike adverts back in the day where you take it around the goalkeeper, then you'd stop the ball on the yeah, goal line, no you'd get down on your hands and knees and then you'd flick the ball in with your head? Yeah. Um, I think you can get booked for doing that now as kind of a sign of unsporting behaviour. Where do you but draw the it, line with just, it, honestly? Exactly, exactly. That's a great point. Where do you draw the line? So we will draw a line under this one here. My getting the C is going to be a quick one. I don't like the fact that Gareth Southgate for the England squad didn't call up Jordan Henderson because he was injured. Now Jordan Henderson is all of a sudden miraculously fit again, has been recalled into the England squad. I don't understand that. What's the point? But we are going to talk, actually, about the three Lions in a bit more detail next because a former England manager has been talking about how he thinks England will get on in the World Cup in Qatar. That manager is Fabio Capello. He was an interesting character. We'll talk about what he's had to say next. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. My name's Niall. I've got Joel and Marley alongside me. And if you want to get involved in the chat beyond the confines of the podcast, then you just need to download Telegram. It's an app very similar to WhatsApp, actually, but a little bit better, in my opinion. And you can join our group chat on there. You just need to go to our Twitter page, which is at FSD Pod, And the pin tweet at the top of the page is a link to the Telegram group. You can dive in there. We're all in the chat sharing some views opinions a bit of banter a bit of podcast related chat as well so make sure you get in there and uh, join us on that so that's our group chat on telegram just go to our twitter page at fsd pod to find the link for that so hopefully see you there and no doubt we'll be talking about this interview which sky sports have done with fabio capello the former england manager he's been speaking about the three lions chances at the upcoming world cup in qatar later this year and he says that when he was the manager of england marley during september 
October and November's international breaks in a Premier League season, England were in better shape to take on the world's best teams. I thought that was a really interesting comment from Fabio Capello, particularly with the World Cup in Qatar being played in November and December rather than at the end of a season in the summer when the players have had a long campaign and could possibly be tired. So what do you make of those comments from Capello? It's a decent sort of uh, like point because nobody, because we've never had a mid-season World Cup before. Nobody knows, do they? Like it could bring out, you know, everybody in their prime. Um, it could the heat could absolutely just take it out of everyone. Um, players could be, you know, not used to the the whole climate and stuff and not play their best and and be a little bit. Um, sort of under the weather type of thing and we don't really know yet but the the point he's making is is a point that needs to be listened to I think with um with this uh this new dynamic we don't know how everyone's going to respond yet so if you're looking at it and thinking well you know what Premier League does sort of get into its into its peak and its prime around December time doesn't it like everybody's you know you've, you haven't got any uh, hangover from the summer um, you haven't got sort of uh, fitness issues with a, a smaller, like a pre-season sort of hangover type thing and, and you're not worn out towards the end of it. You've just got through the Champions League um, group stages and things like that um, and you, you're sort of raring to go sort of thing. So it could be uh, it could be a blessing in disguise really, but I mean, the proof will be in the pudding. We don't really know until it happens who's going to acclimatise to this whole both the the climate thing and the and the the sort of logistical side of things until until it happens. But from what he's he's saying, it could be a, a genuine point. You know, the Premier League does get better in in sort of November December. You, you start to see players come into the prime a little bit more, and and we'll see if uh, England can carry that into the into the um, the World Cup. Fabio Capello had some good players to pick from when he was the England manager. There were some top players, the likes of you know John Terry and Frank Lampard and Gerrard, who I think was his captain for a while. Um, there was obviously the whole John Terry gate thing, which is why he eventually left his job as the England manager due to the issues around John Terry having the captaincy. But also there was Wayne Rooney and other good players. But to kind of go alongside with that, there were some other players that maybe weren't as effective and England weren't exactly the most successful under Fabio Capello during tournament football. And what he's also said, Jill, is that the only doubts he has over England being successful, they've reached a World Cup semi-final and the final of the European Championships in the last two tournaments. But Capello says it's the players' heads, the mental strength and the idea of carrying responsibility that might be England's undoing. Is that a fair comment, do you think? I think the majority of the time in international tournaments for England has always been about mentality, to be honest, and manager preparation. So it's kind of like a whole collective thing. But I think especially when you look at the European Championships final last summer between um, England and Italy, it was purely managing the game. Because I think if England didn't score so early, I don't think they would have gone so defensive so early and they might have coasted the game a little bit easier. But it was almost like um, they went to this inferior complex too soon and allowed Italy back into the game. And that's well, purely mentality. Well, funny you say that. Because Capello actually picked up on that in the interview. He said the second half against Italy in the Euros final... England were close to success, but they had too much responsibility. And he actually even said that England were time-wasting after the 30th minute. So... That was his take on things. So it's quite interesting that you've noticed that game as well as him. Well, you know, great minds think alike, Niall. Me and Fabio <laughs> might have to go for a grapple one time. Um, <laughs> um, no, but it was true and it happened again in 2018 against Croatia, if you both remember. Trippier scoring that great free kick in, what was it, like the second minute? And suddenly they went on the defensive straight away rather than going and killing the game. And I think that is that it's all mentality because England had the quality in both of those games to go forward straight away, completely dominate possession and kill off the game straight away. And I think Capello is absolutely spot on when he says that I think the pressure and the expectation rose during the game because they suddenly had the weight of the world on the shoulders, realising that it's almost like that um, the weight of success where they knew it was so close and they were so nervous that Italy were going to get anywhere near them and take it off them that they suddenly went on the defensive and back foot and that comes from I guess 
not only the players but from Southgate and how he actually approaches games but I think um, in, especially when Capello was the manager in, 20, in that 2010 World Cup I mean that was probably one of the worst England sides in a World Cup I've ever seen in my entire life I don't know if it was because of the climate in South Africa I don't know if it's because there was a lot of clicks in the dressing room but it just seemed like one of the most divided England sides I've ever seen in my life and when you look at you know some of the better England sides in 2004 and in 2006 that 100% had world-class talent in nearly every single area of the field I don't even think it was a mentality thing for them I think it was purely a lot of factors which were out of control of the coaches maybe they could have had better coaches to utilize all the players strengths a little bit better especially in midfield but it felt like every other nation nation's players looked forward to going on international duty whereas for England it almost seemed like their club form was a priority for them I think that was the issue now it's the total opposite and it seems like they enjoy it but they need to get rid of this inferiority complex that they've got because they are as good as any other nation in terms of uh, quality that we've got. I mean, the English sides are getting to Champions League finals majority of the years at the moment, and we're getting some of this. One of the most talented crop of English players I think we've had in about twenty years, and you need to strike where the iron's hot. And I think if we don't win anything in these next, you know, from twenty eighteen to now, it's going to be a missed opportunity in this generation because other nations are going to start getting stronger again Germany's got, has got a great crop coming through Brazil's got a really talented crop coming through and once they hit their peak England have got no chance so you need to really strike right now now's the time I also am quite encouraged by England's under 21s I was looking at our under 21 squad and our youngsters and the ones that aren't in the full England side by the way the likes of Foden and Saka who could still get in the under 21s it looks really positive the group that you know, are coming through in the next five to 10 years could be very exciting as well. But I think you're right. I'm just looking back at that first game of the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. It was England against the United States. And there are some great players in this team. Ashley Cole, Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, John Terry, Wayne Rooney, but then complemented by the likes of Rob Green, Emil Heskey, you know, Sean Wright Phillips, Stephen Warnock, Matthew Upson. No disrespect to any of those players. But they're just not at the level that, you know, you need, I think, to be successful. And it kind of feels a little bit like Spurs, like you were saying, you know, you kind of need to win trophies to shake that off. But Spurs have not managed to do it. And there's that kind of mental fragility there that we associate with Tottenham because they haven't won a trophy for so long. Um, Talking of England and their squad, I picked up on before the break, I'm a bit worried about the midfield. Fabio Capello, Marley, says that he's not convinced by the England defence in the interview on the whole, he's quite positive about England and their chances and he wished them good luck for the World Cup. Of course, Italy, his nation, are not in the competition in Qatar. But he says the defensive side of things is what worries him the most about England. Is that something you subscribe to as well? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's got a point. Um, I think if you think about how he's viewing England, you- you're probably thinking that he's he's there looking going, well, Maguire's probably going to play and he's been in terrible form for probably a year maybe more um but he's still going to get picked so so that instantly raises a question um then you look at like John Stones his his injury record's been a bit a bit like patchy over the years but he's he's doing well at the minute and he's probably our our pick of of center backs um Tamori is is probably the one I I'd, I'd, I'd put alongside him Tamori and and Stones would be my first choice uh, pairing, but um, we've not seen much of him on the international stage, and we don't know how much uh, Southgate rates him because he's got to rate him really highly to to put him ahead of Maguire, who's not done that much wrong in an England shirt, really. So I think if uh, yeah, if you think about all the players Capello has worked with and managed and played with over his career, he knows a thing or two about defenses. He knows he knows Maldini and even Cesare Maldini, uh, Paolo's father was uh, you know a legend. You got Beresi and and all these players he's managed and played with over the years. Nesta, uh, Costa Curta, uh, Cannavaro, all these players. So he he knows what he's talking about when he talks about defenders. Um, and you're looking at England and going, well, who's our best two? And if we play a three, who's our best three? Because all of it doesn't really make much sense if uh, if the rest of the team 
sort of picks itself. The defence is, is the one with, with question marks over it. So, yeah, um, then, and then you get Cody and and Mings and people like that getting in the team and it's, uh, it's a bit of a strange one. But Southgate needs to, to work that out, to be fair. I think he needs to settle on a formation. Um, he seems to like the three at the back thing. I personally can't stand it. I think Kyle Walker playing at right centre-back is is a strange move. I, I don't see why you would ever play a, a full-back at centre-back just because he's fast. I, I just don't get it. Um, but that's Southgate's choice. So if he goes with that, he needs to pick his best three because who plays alongside him? Because Maguire looks slow and cumbersome in a back three. Even when he's got the protection of a wing-back on one side, I still think he looks a bit, bit out of place. Um, so there's questions over it to be honest I don't think England are going into the into the World Cup preparation stage with um, a settled team which is you know might have one or two 50-50 shouts over it I think there's 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 probably six or seven places that are in that that first 11 that are uh, that are up for grabs at the minute and it's up to these Nations League games next week against high quality opposition to to prove to Southgate and to prove to the fans that England are ready for the World Cup England take on Italy in Italy on Friday, 7.45pm kickoff. No doubt we'll be talking about that later on this week. But Fabio Capello, a former England manager and an Italian himself, has been speaking in an interview about England's chances. He says good luck, but he does have his concerns. I'm sure that that is probably echoing the sentiments of many a Three Lions fan. I never get confident when it comes to the World Cup. And in fact, I was talking to someone about this last week and I think that England might bomb out of this World Cup. I've just got really bad vibes about it. I feel like there's been so many disruptions since the Euros and that togetherness doesn't quite feel the same as it did and I don't know why that is I don't know whether that's because players have moved clubs whether there's been a number of injuries other reasons like lack of form just in general from some players I'm not sure what will happen but uh, I'm keen to find out that's for sure the World Cup very fast upon us but for but first it's this international break Next up on Football Social Daily, we're going to take a look at some of the gossip columns as it is the aforementioned international break. Naturally, the gossip has heated up over the last few days. We'll dive into it after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from the Sport Social team. I'm Niall, Marley and Joel are with me. We're going to take a look at some of the back page gossip columns now. And we'll start with some news on Leicester City. And the Sun newspaper are reporting that it will cost the Foxes £10 million if they want to relieve Brendan Rodgers of his duties as the club's manager. Leicester lost 6-2 to Tottenham Hotspur in their Premier League game at the weekend. It seems to be that they've not got a problem in finding the back of the net, but they do have a problem with conceding goals and they are still yet to find their first Premier League win of the season and they remain bottom of the Premier League table. However, if they do sack Brendan Rodgers, their options are Maurizio Pochettino, Sean Dyche and Rafa Benitez. This is being reported by The Sun, as I say. So what do you think, Marley? Do you think that... Leicester are going to hold fire for the time being on the future of their managerial position because of the £10 million that it's reported to cost them if they relieve Brendan Rodgers of his job. Uh, it it seems like it because I think if he was going to go, I think he'd have gone by now. Um, I think 
when a manager's under pressure and then there's an international break, everyone gets twitchy, don't they? They go, oh, well, this is the perfect time to, to make a change because the, the new guy's got two weeks uh, to work with the new squad and work out, and you know, get, get comfortable, get his feet under the door, get his, his ideas across a little bit. But it hasn't happened yet. And if it hasn't happened now by, by Tuesday, um, certainly by the end of today, I, I think he'll he'll stay in the job. But I watched Leicester at the weekend and it was a, a really strange performance because at one point they were they were the better team. I think when it was 2-2, um, it looked like Leicester were going to win win the game. They, they were the ones really pushing. They were proper knocking on Spurs' door. There was chances. There was lots of sort of near misses and then they just capitulated and I was like why how how has this happened like how how do they look so bad in defense all of a sudden like as soon if they had the ball they looked fine but if they didn't have the ball they were all over the place like you know Danny Ward was 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 pretty poor in goal um obviously two worldies fly past him that's that's none of his uh none of his doing but indeed he getting robbed in midfield like for, for I think it was Ben Tanko's goal and that's just basic stuff and I think I think when when things like that are happening I I always think like why is this happening because Wilfred Ndidi should know he's not got four or five seconds in, in centre midfield in a Premier League game he's been around long enough to to not make that mistake however I, I think sometimes it's just it's down to the the, the comfort of the whole thing, like, indeed he knows he's going to get picked next week because he's one of the best players and he's just, he's gone a bit stale because he's he's not got that, like, that fire in him from the from the, the coach. He's used to the tactics, he's used to what's being asked of him and he gets a bit lackadaisical. So can can a new manager sort that? I, I think he can because... You know, we all know that players don't get sacked. Managers get sacked, and that's the quickest way of getting in new ideas and fresh ideas, and and sort of engaging the squad again a little bit more. Um, I do think, I, I do think Rogers is a quality manager, but I do think it's it's time for them to to uh, to say right, let's go in a different direction because he has spent a lot of money. He's had a lot of success. Don't don't get me wrong. He's I don't think Leicester fans should be baying for him to to leave as i've seen seen some on social media the guy won you the chap the um fa cup two years ago that's a huge achievement for for leicester it's as good as you can get really um and i think with um with with the way they're looking i, I just think a new manager could, could come in and, and make them more solid very quickly um and then you look at the fact that rafa benitez is out of work and i think it's a perfect fit well leicester scored two against brentford two against arsenal one against southampton one against Chelsea. They didn't score against United. They scored two against Brighton and two against Tottenham. So, as I said before, scoring goals isn't the issue. But they've conceded 11 goals in their last two Premier League games. They shipped five against Brighton and six against Tottenham. And if we talk about defensively, and that being the problem, if you do look at the managers on the shortlist, according to the newspapers, Joel, as Marley says, Rafa Benitez is one, Sean Dyche is another, and Maurizio Pochettino is another. It looks unlikely that Leicester are going to make a change, but of the three names there that are listed in the paper, are you with Marley? Do you think Benitez would be the most comfortable fit to make things a little bit more solid for the Foxes? I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit too soon to be looking at managers because after seven games, I still don't believe it's the right time to be switching and changing. Well, especially if you look at their run of fixtures coming up. I don't know if you've had a look at the Leicester fixtures, but the games they've got next are... Forest at home after the international break, that is a huge game, not only because it's an East Midlands derby, but also the context of the table. Then they've got Bournemouth, Crystal Palace, Leeds, Wolves, and then Manchester City at the end of October. So those next five games in the Premier League look absolutely imperative for Leicester if they're going to try and pull themselves out of trouble. I think I think a decision will be... I think basically prior to the World Cup, that'll be the time of whether the owners stick or twist with him because then it'll obviously obviously give them a good solid month to put real preparation in place should they actually get rid of him. But honestly, at this stage of the season, just two consecutive wins suddenly takes you out of this ridiculous firestorm that you're in and just makes things so much more easier. And it's not the fact that they can't score, like you've said, it's just the fact that they've leaked. And I saw a stat yesterday which was that the 22 goals that have been conceded in seven games is the most at this stage 
which is pretty alarming considering it's a Leicester side who we were talking about being there or thereabouts for Champions League football for the two consecutive seasons in 2019 and 2020. But you can't rest and keep looking back at past success because right now is what matters. And at the moment, I was going to say, be careful what you wish for, but I don't think any Leicester fan wishes to be at the bottom of the table at this stage of the season. But I just think, you know, Brendan Rodgers, you can't deny how much of a great manager he is. And he's definitely had his hands tied behind his back. But regardless, when you look at that side on paper, it's 100% better than the majority of that bottom half uh, teams by a mile like you've got a lot of international England players there uh, and international players in general a lot of players who've been linked to big moves away from to big top four top six clubs so I still think he's got it in them to get it out uh, to get out of that situation and like I say just one win really does start setting the wind in the sail it's just getting that win and solidifying that defense because it's so leaky but those next five games will be telling because it's not as if they have to face you know the likes of City and United and Liverpool and really trying to get wins from those these are games that can get them past teams that are there or thereabouts around them in the table so it's going to be really telling to see how he does in those and I think if he doesn't come out of those um, with you know at least a good eight or nine points, I think it might be lights out for him prior to the World Cup. I think it's going to be a very different approach from owners because this World Cup gives them a big month because usually that November to December time period is usually the time where chopping and changing starts. But obviously because there's a massive circuit breaker, I think there's going to be earlier decisions this time round. Yeah, I think you're right, especially with the fact that there's basically a whole month off for the World Cup that gives managers time to get their feet under the table and get themselves sorted if they are new additions to a club but for the time being Brendan Rodgers remains the Leicester manager the Sun newspaper reporting that if they are to sack him it will cost the club £10 million speaking of Rafa Benitez who's a potential option should Leicester City part company with Brendan Rodgers he's also been speaking to the media during the international break about his time at Everton Football Club that was the last club he was the manager of it was an absolute disaster and he ended up losing his job much to the glee of the Everton supporters who never really took to him in the first place and you can understand why that was the case Marley you have experience with Rafa Benitez seeing as he was the manager of Newcastle for so long but he says in this interview that he wasn't able to manage Everton in the way he wanted to due to the links he had with Liverpool he wanted to make changes to the club structurally that weren't given the green light because people maybe would have felt like he was you know, shaking things up a bit and, you know, the whole Liverpool double agent sort of thing came to light a little bit in undertones in this interview. But from what he was saying, the the crux of it is he wasn't able to make the decisions and manage Everton in the way he wanted to. I'm absolutely not shocked at that. And I'm not shocked that he's come out and said that. I mean, I imagine you're in a similar position here because it was obvious to anyone, even the most diehard supporter of either club, that it just wasn't going to work. Yeah, it was it was never gonna work, was it? Um I think we all said it at the start and all the Everton fans said it and all the, the general media said it. I think the only ones only two people wanted Rafa Benitez to be Everton manager and that was Rafa Benitez and and uh Farad Mashiri. And unfortunately for Everton fans they were the two that make the decisions. So um it happened. I think there was all the you know, all the stuff about uh, all the protests and the, the banners hanging around Merseyside and the things like that of, uh, you know, we don't want Rafa and all this stuff. And, you know, the the chairman backed himself big time because I think everybody, all Everton fans wanted literally anybody else. It didn't matter who, just not him. Um, and when you start off like that, it's just such a, a such a hindrance, such a, uh, a handicap to have that, you're gonna to have to do something ridiculous to to overcome it. You're gonna to have to get everything into the top six to to overcome it because everything else is is just the fans waiting for you to to fail so they can go. Well, I told you so. And you look at that now, and even Frank Lampard, who's won about four bloody games since January or whenever he came in, they still love him because they they chose him. They wanted Lampard. They didn't want Benitez. And you're looking at that now, and even though Everton only won one game all season. The fans are still very much behind him. It's not. We're not talking about oh Frank Lampard's hanging on to his job. Um, we're talking about other managers like uh, Steve Cooper and even Steven Gerrard. Uh, we were talking about Gerrard. Should he be 
doing more um, in the past few weeks, but Lampard's going under the radar because everybody at Everton is is still happy with him. So it, I think fan um, fan engagement and, and fan confidence is, is a huge, huge thing for, for football clubs. And, uh, you know, Lampard's got it and, and Benitez never did. So it's not really a surprise that it ended in a, in a bad way. I think he it, it was he's a good enough manager to have got something out of them, but it's just when everyone doesn't believe in that system and, and believe in, you know, everyone's got to pull in the same direction for you to for you to have success. No, I don't think any club who's who's uh, had loads of infighting and hated each other has ever ever achieved anything in the history of football, um, especially nothing big. So. You're looking at that and thinking Benitez was always uh, doomed to fail, I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, Rafa Benitez has come out swinging punches and fighting his corner. But as you mentioned, I think you summed it up pretty nicely when you said there were only two people who thought that it could work. And that was Rafa Benitez and Farhad Mashiri. And I don't know how to think about Rafa Benitez after this because... I don't know whether it's arrogant, rep, hasn't it? Yeah, is it arrogance or self-confidence to take that job on and think that you can be a success? I'm not sure. I mean, some jobs you just need to say no to. Yeah. You just have to say no to, and I think was, that was one I of think them. He was just desperate to get back in England, wasn't he? He he really wanted a job in England. I think he, he turned down a few from from different European countries, maybe a couple in Italy and things like that. And you know, he wanted to be back near his family because he's he's left his his family in in Liverpool for for the whole. Um, time he's been at any other club since Liverpool, and now he's, I think his kids are, are getting sort of a grown-up age where they're they're in the years before they leave for university and things like that. I think his daughter's at Merseyside University, one of them. Um, so he just desperately wanted that job, didn't he? And you can understand that, but this is football, and you, you shouldn't give you shouldn't give people jobs out of sentiment. And oh, well, he wants a job in England, so let's give him let's give him that job. And it's just. It didn't really work, so it has sort of soured his reputation. He, he needs to rebuild it somewhere. Keeping on the trend of managers and talking about something that won't really work, here's one from the Italian media. Potter wants Kane at Chelsea. <laughs> Graham Potter, the new Chelsea manager, of course, has arrived at Stamford Bridge from Brighton after Thomas Tuchel was sacked. And this piece of Italian news reporting, I'm not sure how accurate it is. It is the international break after all. Graham Potter wants Harry Kane at Chelsea and is willing to do a swap deal with Romelu Lukaku going in the other direction. There is absolutely no chance, Joel, that Spurs accept this proposal. Kane to Chelsea and you can have Lukaku in return. I'm not sure that's going to happen, is it? Tell me it's the international break without telling me it's the international break (laughs) with a story like that. Um... You know what? I actually mentioned this swap as like a little throw out there last year, only because when Conte came into uh, Tottenham and Harry Kane was kind of flirting with the idea of going to City, it seemed like it could be logical because obviously Lukaku was on the back of that amazing season with Inter the first term. But now Tottenham are in a bit of a weird situation with Kane because he's got two years left in his contract, which runs out in 2024. He's not really looking at the moment like he's going to renew anytime soon. I think he's biding his time this season to see how it goes in terms of their ambition, in terms of whether Conte sticks around or not, because you don't really know how it's going to go with him sometimes. And then you've got Lukaku, who had the best season of his life under Conte when he was at Inter. And I'm sure he would probably love to reunite with him again but I think on this occasion I just I think if that was ever to happen it would have been the last year or the season before when Kane was really looking to go I think Lukaku's very much set in Milan now I don't think he'd want to try again in the Premier League just because how it's turned out in the last two times when he's tried has not really gone in his favour and I think while he's in Milan and while he's so loved by their fans and he has so much success in Serie A just because he's just he's he's the perfect striker for the Italian league that's why he's managed to score so many goals there and i think for Kane i'm just really interested to see what happens with him in the next 2 years because i don't know if he's really putting all his eggs in the Conte basket and hoping that he can achieve something achieve something with them because Bayern have been flirting with him now for the last six months and I think that's a really interesting one to watch because Bayern 
I've never been a team without a number nine since I can remember. This is probably the first season I can remember. And they've always had a very figure point number nine. And now that they're owning, um, their CEO, like Oliver Kahn, has started to come out and say, you know, Kane's a really good player, etc., etc. Then that's that's pretty atypical for Bayern. They don't really go about doing the transfer business like that. I feel like they're starting to plant the foundations quite early uh, because it would be a massive transfer. And I think for Kane, I don't know about you guys, but what comes as more of an accomplishment to Kane? Is it potentially getting the Premier League goal-scoring record but potentially winning nothing? Or going to the Bundesliga, 100% winning a Bundesliga? You may as well put the medal on his chest before he even arrives. And then having a good crack at the Champions League because they have got a pretty good side forming, but they're struggling at the moment in Germany. So it, honestly, it, it, I... It's a strange situation for Kane because he just wants trophies. I feel like it's going to be a similar scenario to Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I know he won loads, but in terms of the Champions League, it just always evaded him at the wrong time. I don't know if it's going to be the case of that. But he's not going to Chelsea, is he? And Lukaku's not going the other no way. Chance. No chance. No chance. I certainly agree with that. All right, boys, that's it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss it. And you also won't miss Shots, which is our short-form Premier League podcast, which comes out every afternoon rounding up all of the top flight news that you might have missed so if you hit subscribe that way you won't miss it you can also join our telegram chat download the telegram app go to our twitter page at fsd pod click the link which is pinned to our profile and you'll be able to join our telegram group and get involved with the chat after the podcast is done and dusted but that is it from us today we'll speak to you next time here on football social daily Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.